Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is Comfort, Comfort Films. Hello and welcome to Comfort Films, episode number 41. Wow, this is another landmark. We're past 40. We're past 40. It's a good Dave Matthews song. Oh yeah. 41. That used to be our thing back in the day. My sisters are 41 right now. Oh my god, they are. Yeah. Wow. They turned 41 in June. I still think of them as like 20s, <laughs> you know? They do too. It's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, this week we're going to be talking about Point Break. Yeah. Another great summer movie. It's something that I always remember because the day that this came out, I actually saw it in the movie theater. So I was a youngin' because this was 1991. Yeah, 31 oh years ago. Right? Yes. So John is 14 years old at this point. Wow. Yeah. And you saw this in the theater. That's really cool. Well, see, this is pretty interesting. So I was so lucky because my babysitter growing up actually became my best friend. <laughs> so it was like really awesome. Because he was like five years older than me. It was Marcus Burquist. Really cool dude. We would always play Dungeons and Dragons together whenever he would babysit me. Yeah. And then we would just go out to the movies, you know, like on our own time. So it's like if he was like the babysitter, it's like we went out to the movies. <laughs> and if it was like, cool. yeah, like a regular day, we went out to the movies. So at this instance, I remember it because... I'm 14, you know, and this is an older dude. So he goes out at night. So he would call me and he called me like around 930 at night and was like, hey, you want to go see Point Break? Okay. Mm -hmm. And my parents usually would not go for this like late night thing, but they really trusted Mark because he was my babysitter. Right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So I went out to see Point Break the day that it came out. So July 12th, 1991, Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I'm at White City, right? <laughs> Movie theater, which is now gone. And I was blown away by Point Break. And wow. yeah, so I always have this awesome memory of this movie. That's really great. Yeah, yeah, I can't even remember when I saw this. I'm assuming it was probably at some point when I was a teenager, like on television or something. Um, we've talked about it before. My stepdad had like the crazy satellite dish. Oh, yeah. So he got all these movies. And he would, like, tape them on videos and, we, you know, whatever. So yeah. I'm sure that I saw it at some point there. I don't really remember it super distinctively um, because I think I used to be more of a music kid. So I would watch a movie for, like, ten minutes with my family and then go listen to Guns N' Roses in my bedroom for, like, two hours. Because <laughs> that was just my thing. But You were badass. <laughs> no, I just thought it's just what I liked. So, uh, I don't really remember, but I was a big Patrick Swayze fan who wasn't. Right, he was super cool. I still am. He's awesome. Um, and Keanu Reeves, you know, that was like a dude of the 90s because, you know, we were just watching all these movies with him at that time, I think. Like, it was Keanu Reeves, you were going to go see it because it was going to be cool. Yeah. I mean, it all started, like, with Bill and Ted. Yeah, that exactly. That was, like, right? And so it was, like, after Bill and Ted, you're like, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, and, I mean, this is another good one for Keanu, because it's, like, he is an FBI agent, but he's also, like, a surfer dude. Yeah. So, it works. Yeah, because he's able to be youthful enough 
that it can work. Yeah. That's what I appreciate. Like, he goes undercover with these surfers, and you can believe, okay, this guy knows how to surf. Yeah. You know? Which is funny, because I think I was reading in the trivia that he really didn't know how to surf. No kidding. And, like, Lori Petty had never even been in the ocean before. So... This is pretty cool. I mean, Swayze, I think, had some experience with it. Yeah. And, of course, Swayze, as we'll get into later, probably, was a big skydiver. And mm. he did a ton of skydiving in this movie that he wasn't supposed to do. Did he skydive before this movie? Was it like a thing of his before Point Break? I've read differing opinions on that, so I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, Some people say, yes, he was hugely into it already. Another thing said that he said his brother was actually the one who was super into it. And he hadn't done it really before this. But I read somewhere that he had logged, he logged like over 50 jumps during the filming of this movie. 50 jumps. Yeah, because they did a couple of, you know, second unit things in the movie to get the footage they needed. But the people who were doing it didn't like it. And Patrick Swayze didn't either. Okay. So they went back like... A bunch of times to get what they wanted and it wasn't totally on the level <laughs> like the insurance company was not psyched about any of this because patrick swayze you know it's a high high danger kind of thing and you know if patrick swayze had splatted on the ground then the movie would have failed so they would have been in the hole but so. it would have been okay because as he taught us pain don't hurt <laughs> well yes the Dalton Roadhouse, you know, lesson pain don't hurt. Very important. God, we should just do Roadhouse. It's so good. I know, because that's the first thing <laughs> I think of, is I think of Roadhouse. Oh, yeah, me too. We've watched Roadhouse so many times, it's like obscene. Yeah. Um, but it's just so good. Why wouldn't we watch it? It's great. Well, I don't want, yeah, it's hard because, like, even the fact that it even came up. I want to dive in and I want to start like I know, it's double hard. deucing with you. But you know? we're trying to do summer movies right, right. right now, even though personally the summer has been, you know, not the greatest mm. of our lives. Um, on that note, we are happy to be back talking about movies after yet another unplanned break. Um, thank you to everyone who uh, offered condolences to me on Instagram uh, about my dad. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it wasn't unexpected, but it wasn't, that didn't make it easy somehow. I don't know. It's its just a hard thing. Losing regardless. a parent, that's not easy. Um, but, you know, uh, and then on the heels of us having been sick, and I'm still not 100%, so it's just been a really difficult few months. But I'm super psyched that we can still, you know, have this to come in and talk about movies, which is our favorite thing. And, you know, even if our summer kind of sucks, <laughs> we can watch summer movies about people whose lives don't suck or suck in a completely different and more exciting way, like in Point Break. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, because I wouldn't say that Johnny Utah is having the greatest summer in some ways, but... In other ways, he kind of is. I mean, we can make an argument for this. Well, let's make the argument. I mean, so, I mean, we've got a guy, okay, that is a football player. Yeah. That is the dream, it seems. It gets a little muddled for me in the movie. Because when he talks to Tyler, Laurie Petty's character, he says that 
he did football because his parents wanted him to do football. And, but I mean, then we don't know whether that's true or not true because yeah. it's part of his kind of cover story. Right. Which also includes that his parents died in a car accident, which is not true. I mean, but it feels like there might be some ring of truth to the football thing and people do know him as a college football player. Right. So the football thing is true. Did he do it because he wanted to or because he kind of felt forced to? We don't know. Well, and then there's this whole bit about his parents wanted him to go to law school. And he got a football scholarship to law school. <laughs> when you pointed that out, I was like, you're a I genius. I was like, um, okay. I like literally have never heard of that, but okay, Keanu, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, his summer was cool because he had a job that, in my opinion, could be tedious. You know, like they check cars, you know, they <laughs> yeah. look for clues. Which Gary Busey is set with. Yeah, He's just doesn't want to do it no he makes it sound like it's cleaning the dirtiest filthiest nastiest <laughs> thing that there is i don't know what it is but it is the worst like the worst <laughs> times a million and that's the way that pappas acts yeah you know angelo pappas what a name i love it i love how ethnic it is when gary Busey just looks like he just walked out of a cornfield <laughs> i mean he's so like midwestern looking and sounding and acting and everything and yet he's named angelo pappas which sounds like you know some mediterranean guy i just it's made me laugh a lot like i a really like gary Busey in this though yeah i think he's great i think he's great too he really grounds it and i really believe that he's a mentor to keanu reeves and he's also his buddy yeah I mean, he supports him, you know, he kind of, like, talks him, you know, through his first big case. Because, yeah. like, Keanu hasn't really done this yet, you know. And they support each other because, you know, what you were saying about him kind of pompous thinking that the sucks, having to go do all the stuff. Like, Johnny Utah says to him, like, wake up, you know, we're doing this job. You either do it or you don't do it, you know? Yeah. And it kind of galvanizes Pappas to not suck so hard <laughs> and try to wake up and, like, you know, be part of the investigation and, you know, move forward, which I think is great. So they work well off of each other. And I just think Gary Busey is really comfortable in this movie, mm -hmm. and it works. And I think that's because he, uh, according to what I've read, he does have he had a relationship with Catherine Bigelow okay. from working together previously. So oh, okay. he had actually been in her student film. Nice that she did when she was studying. So they knew each other from way back. I think that translates really well on screen because he does have like this comfort. And the thing is, like, I don't think people really think of Gary Busey as being this great actor anymore i mean maybe back in the 80s that things were different or something but i wasn't old enough to have that on my radar at the time since i've had gary Busey on my radar it's kind of like i don't think people take him very seriously which maybe it's hard to because he has gary Busey pet judge <laughs> on amazon prime which i really want to watch actually but I didn't haven't. we watch it did i make that up now, i put it into my queue and we probably watched a preview but i don't think we like sat down with like an episode of pet judge i want to make that happen we probably should but you know he's not really taken seriously but i actually think he's fantastic in this yeah his relationship with johnny utah is great 
I think that it's awesome that he's kind of the one that had the idea about the surfing bank robbers. Yes. And nobody takes him seriously. Um, but, you know, he's great. He's also a great foil to one of our most favorite character actors who is in this, John McGinley. Yeah. I, John C. McGinley, whenever he shows up, I want him to give someone the business. And he does that so many times in those. Yeah, he, like, just tears a new <laughs> butt to, like, every single person in this movie. And I love it. And Well, it's mainly to Pappas and to Johnny Utah because they're always going outside of the protocols. Yes, and he's kind of a rule follower, Obviously, he's a supervisor of the the group and everything, so he, you know, feels that people need to go by the book. And these guys are kind of just off doing their own thing. Well, I mean, okay, so when he first meets Johnny Utah, he talks about how he wants his men to have a strict health regimen and be in shape. And then out of defiance, Johnny Utah just gets a donut and talks about how great it is. Yeah. And then later, I mean, this is like... I don't know if this is what like being a, a cop is all about. I mean, it's pretty righteous <laughs> when you see like Busey and Keanu Reeves, like talking about the case at the office and like you see Keanu tearing down Corona's and Chinese food. <laughs> then like Busey ups the ante by just picking up a bottle of Jack Daniels and just taking a haul off that baby. And you know, you know that that Jack Daniels bottle is live. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know Method it's right. acting, for Absolutely. Real. You know that, that that Jack Daniels bottle is live. And then this guy jumps off the ground onto a desk into a serve position. Yeah. Wow. And, he's, and that was Gary Busey that we're discussing here, by the way, not Keanu Reeves, mm -hmm. shifting a whole lot of body from the ground up onto a table like i would die if i did that shit i can't even jump six inches no, you know what i mean i don't want to and i will not attempt it <laughs> and this guy just does it i'm like what but yeah these dudes don't have any problem getting down on some food and drink like later on in the movie like they're waiting they're like doing like a, a sting or whatever outside the bank waiting for the robbers to show up mm -hmm. and Busey like sends uh, Johnny Utah around the corner to get him two meatball subs. I love that he clarifies that he definitely wants to. And he says it like three times. I Look, I mean, I wanted the meatball sub. I literally <laughs> said to you, maybe we should pause this and I should go get a meatball sub. Yes, and sadly I'd already planned dinner for the evening, so we're going to have to put a pin in that yeah and come back but you know maybe Busey should have just shared one with you he had two I mean that's the man I want to hang out with when it comes to meatball sub time you know <laughs> you go to his house he will have a spread you know it's like you'll have so much food at his place and then you'll be able to take it home I bet you if you went over to his house he would have four of those meatball sandwiches just for ready you. just ready to go and the best part is that they bought two meatball subs a tuna sandwich and two lemonades for like seven bucks. Oh my god! Yeah, was it seven thirty four? It was like seven forty eight. Okay, something. it was like not seven fifty, because in my mind I immediately started thinking like, what was the unit price of each of these items? And yeah. it only came up to seven dollars and fifty cents. 
Like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, uh, really? Like, now that would be like $35. I want to live in that world, you know? Yeah. I want to buy food and gasoline in that world. Yes, let's transport ourselves back to those prices. And also the lightning fast service that you pointed out. Oh, yeah. They instantly had it. It was like, I, I, where did these subs come from? It's a magic world that yeah, they live in. Yeah, it was pretty it. great. I mean, he was gone for like three and a half seconds. It still managed to be the moment when the bank robbers, like, showed up. Yeah. But, you know, plot. Plot matters. <laughs> Here's a question I have. And I'm genuine. Are they FBI? Is that what they are? Or are they yes. police? Okay, I They're called FBI. them cops earlier. I don't know why. Well, I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, it's law enforcement. It's all law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, we watched the newer one from 2015. Yes. And I very clearly remember them saying FBI. Yeah. And I'm sure they say it many times in this film. They said it, but it's... It just doesn't sink in for me. Well, I feel like they were less focused on it here in some ways. I feel like we don't go back to the office as much as as we did in, like, the newer one. Yeah. Like, in the 2015, I feel like the Luke Bracey, Johnny Utah, is back in the office with, like, Delroy Lindo, like, all the time. Mm -hmm. And, again, this could just be my perception. But I feel like he was much more grounded as, like, an FBI agent than he is in this, where he's doing a lot of, like undercover type stuff that yeah. just seems like he really isn't checking in that much. Yeah. He's just like, okay, I'm going to go surf and like, you know, it's cool. Like he just goes to surf and goes to hang out with these dudes <laughs> and like Busey maybe parks on the side of the road near the beach just to be there if he's needed but, like, they're not, like, desk jobbers, you know? No, I mean, this is, like, meatball subs, Chinese food, booze. I mean, okay, going back to a point that that we strayed away from, is this Johnny Utah's best summer? Yes. He's got Pappas, who's, like, his best friend and, like, this awesome uncle, okay, that's looking out for him. Yeah. He finds love, yes. okay, with Tyler. You yes. know, and so he has that great thing happening. He finds surfing, which yeah. he ends up adoring. And still does, even after the main events of the movie. Yeah, he keeps it going. And, you know, he finds, you know, a best friend in Bodie. And it's like his relationship with Bodie is complex because, yes, he's there to bust Bodie. That's really why he's there. But Bodie is helping him find himself. So it's like Bodie is like a shaman and a criminal. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about this movie. I mean, I would argue that there are two main things in this movie that make it like a Catherine Bigelow joint, which are, number one, killer action scenes. Yes. Filmed fantastically. Yes. And number two, really strong relationships that are kind of offbeat. So, like, you have, like, the Angelo and Johnny relationship, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Then you also have the Johnny and Bodie relationship and the Johnny and Tyler relationship. Right. So, all three of those are kind of what makes this movie tick. 
Um, and the Johnny Bodie relationship in particular is very special and it's like a criminal and cop kind of a thing. So another Catherine Bigelow movie, get a little off board here, but another Catherine Bigelow movie that I really love that not as many people know or love is Strange Days. Great movie. Um, fantastic. And I felt like that movie had another really intensely great but also bizarre relationship at its center, which was the Rafe Fines Angela Bassett relationship. Mm -hmm. So he had been a cop in the past, and now he's like kind of a criminal. Um, not like a violent criminal, but like a, you know, he's doing the, it's a futuristic movie, and he's kind of trading in some of these technologies that aren't quite above board. But he still has this really strong friendship with Angela Bassett, who, is very like lawful kind of a person but their relationship was such a big deal in that movie and it was great and i don't want to like talk about strange days for too long but it's hard because i really love that movie and i think that it's a fantastic like catherine bigelow movie well, again it's one that i i would love to talk about here because there is so much in it yeah and it's a movie that i remember seeing the trailers for and I really wanted to see it, and I wasn't able to. And when I finally got to see it at home, I was thrilled. It yeah. was everything that I wanted. It delivered yeah. 110%. And again, it, it's got that Catherine Bigelow cinematography touch to yeah. it, where they're using, like, special cameras and, like, trying to, like, innovate with the way that they're filming things. And that happens in this movie as well. Like, the action scenes in Point Break are filmed in such a way that you're, like, right in the middle of it. When they're having this crazy foot chase where Johnny is chasing Ronald Reagan <laughs> out of the bank. Yeah. He's, like, going through houses, going through these tight little California backyards. Bodie in the Reagan mask throws a pit bull at at johnny i love that like johnny that. flies through a plate glass kind of like um french door in somebody's house like this is not your garden variety chase and they're filming it with a special kind of steady cam type setup where they're right on these dudes heels as they're running through all of these like crazy places and it just it feels so immediate and so kinetic. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that she does better than just about anybody is like just dropping you right into the action. Well, when we take a look at The Hurt Locker, which she won an Oscar for Best Director, The Hurt Locker also won Best Picture, and she was a producer on that as well. Mm -hmm. That movie takes you to... <laughs> The actual place. Yeah. I feel like we're there. I feel like The Hurt Locker is much more of a documentary than just your standard film. She has a real knack of finding impeccable talent. Yeah. If we go back to the very beginning, okay, the first feature film she directed was The Loveless. And it was a movie she co-directed with Monty Montgomery. And their lead in that film was Willem Dafoe. Yes. And that was Willem Dafoe's first movie. Which is insane. Yes. To, like, you know, start Willem Dafoe. 
And then she did Near Dark, which was Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had done movies before that, but like it was a really different kind of a movie for him. Sure. And he was fantastic in that. I really, I never saw that until like two years, three years ago. And we saw it in the theater. We, we saw, saw it, it at New Beverly. Yeah, we saw it at New Beverly, which was great. And all the people that were at the theater had seen Near Dark a billion times. And there was this one guy, he was so enthusiastic and so wasted. It reminds me of something I would do. It was like, oh my God, you guys aren't going to believe it. It's so good. That's great. And we had like a real blast watching this movie. And Lance Henriksen in that as well. So it's like she gets in the best of the best. You know, she also had the movie Blue Steel. And that came out the year before Point Break. And that was one where she directed. And I don't know if she was the sole writer or one of... I think it was a co-writing thing, maybe. Okay, I I think you're right. I think you're right. And she had Ron Silver in Blue Steel. And she had Jamie Lee Curtis. These were the leads. Yeah, so it was like really just just an eye for talent and she goes around you know similar themes when we look at it so blue steel is about jamie lee curtis who's a police officer right and then we have the loveless which is her first film which is about willem dafoe as the head of a biker gang you know and it kind of it draws a lot of comparisons with the marlon brando movie the wild one Mm, okay you know um so i mean that's the you know you've got like this period biker film with willem dafoe then we have near dark which you know was 1987 and that's a very much an 80s like action horror film very much with like some weird kind of western elements i guess to it which is a really odd mashup that I love the idea of. Yeah. And I like that. And she does a lot with like action, but also with like violence. Yes. And I think that it's interesting how, you know, she uses violence to like comment on violence. And, you know, that happens in this, it happens in a lot of her movies. I guess from what I read, going all the way back to like her first movie that she did as the student film which was about two guys fighting each other while, like, people commented on their fighting. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it. I don't know who has, but <laughs> just when you read about it on IMDb or Wikipedia, um, it sounds like that's, like, a central idea that she's kind of been grappling with since she started making movies. And she just does it in a really interesting way. I mean, I take it that people have criticized um, her use of violence in movies as well, but uh, you know it. It is what it is. Like, watch the news. You know, yeah. People are violent. It's gross. It's it's part of the human uh, experience, and I think you know, ignoring it is foolish. Well, the movies that she makes that feature violence, they are not shy about letting you know that if you come to see this film. This is what you're going to see. You know, a horror film, vampires, you know, okay, you're going to see gore. Yeah. You're going to see a movie about a police officer and a guy that's gone over the edge with a gun. You know what you're going to see there. Yeah. You're going to see a movie about war. You're going to see violence. Yeah. It's So, I mean, I think that, so when we look at her films, we deal with, I would say, you know, military and we deal with law enforcement. 
you know, frequently. A lot, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you'd mentioned Strange Days. Strange Days deals with police brutality. That's a theme that we see again in 2017 with Detroit. You know, we have the Hurt Locker, right? Mm -hmm. We're at war. We have Zero Dark Thirty. Torture. Yeah. yeah. So it's, we're, we're, we're going around similar themes. I mean, there are some that are, you know, different. I mean, I'm not saying that all of her films in any way feel the same. No, not at all. No. I mean, like, there's, it's just an element of social commentary that exists mm -hmm. across her kind of canon. But at the same time, like, she, she addresses it differently. And I would say, like, in Point Break, it's there again. You know, we have fighting, we have gunplay, we have you know, a lot of different things going on with, like, physical violence in this movie. But it's also commenting on a lot of other things. It's commenting on the fact that, you know, the way that Bodhi and his crew kind of live their life is antithetical to kind of the American social dream of, you know, going to work and making a living and having property and things like this these guys don't live that way no the only need that they seem to have for money is to be able to live outside the system go and like you know follow the waves which is what they do in the off season they're they're in southern california in the summer they're robbing these banks but they use that money to like live outside of the norm it's set up in the film that at the beginning you feel that Bodie and his crew, it's like Robin Hood and the Merry Men. You know, it's a redistribution of wealth. It's, you know, taking back your life, you know, taking, you know, your own freedom. And they make a joke, again, which I feel like is like some thinly veiled social commentary, something along the lines of, you know, we're the dead presidents and... You know, we've been screwing you for years. The ex-president. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Dead Presidents. Fully different movie. Also amazing, but a completely different story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think that, like, in the new, the 2015 Point Break, they took that kind of Robin Hood idea to even a further point, like a more literal point yeah. um, than they did in this. Because these guys really aren't stealing from the rich and giving to the poor unless they are the poor. Um, cause they're keeping the money for themselves. They're not really, you know, doing anything with it, but they do consider themselves kind of like rebels and right. like they're fighting the system and that they're doing this for the people who are stuck within the system. I mean, that's like Bodie has like a whole speech about that where he talks about the people in their metal coffins, right? which is great because we saw a piece of graffiti during one of my unholy two-hour commutes one time <laughs> that said, how is your metal coffin today? And I, like, took a picture of it and saved it because I, it just stuck with me. Because it does feel like that when you're, like, in the system, you're doing a job, you spend, you know, more than half of your life devoted to work. And if that work doesn't feel important to you, which I would venture to say unfortunately for you know more than half of us it really doesn't feel that important 
you know, but you're spending all this time on it. So they're saying, you know, they're doing this. They're living a different life for the people who can't, um, which, you know, is idealistic, but not very realistic. No, I think that what we have here is Bodie, you know, he, he wants to be this leader. He wants to have enlightenment the name Bodhi is from Bodhisattva, right? And that's a person that can move on. You know what I mean? They're they're fully enlightened. You know what I mean? They they can, you know, go to the next phase. But they're here to help people who are suffering. Yeah. So it's like that's that's the title that he has. Like he's some wonderful holy man that's sticking around this difficult world to ease the pain of others. And you're like Okay, and then, you know, they also have, I feel like, some some Christianity thrown in there, too, because Bodhi kind of looks like white Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? And and then, you know, he's got his crew, which kind of feel like, oh, maybe these are the apostles, and they hang out by the water. You know, it isn't a stretch to think that these guys go fishing, right? (laughs) So it's like, I, I feel that Bodhi gets really caught up in his own idea of himself and he's really sold that to these guys and it's a way that you can be very selfish in your own life but at the same time feel like you're selfless and because when the chips fall down in this movie what happens i mean bodhi like kidnaps someone that he was close to yeah he takes you know like tyler and he puts that crazy guy rosie there has a knife to her throat gonna kill her and it's because he wants to get his money and get away and his own greed Bodie's greed and the final robbery scene you know i would say leads to the death of of team members because they never went for the vault Pretty much his whole team, because we find out that even if, even even Rosie's gone, yeah. Um, when Johnny ca- catches up with him at Bell's Beach, that's in right. The end. So you know he's completely alone by that point. All the other ex presidents were killed, you know, earlier in the movie, um, before the final kind of scene. So it's like he he's shown that in spite of like this way that he presents himself yeah that he is actually quite selfish he only really cares about chasing whatever dream it is that he has Mm -hmm. which is to find the next kind of um rush really yeah i mean he's kind of a rush seeker thrill seeker and he'll sacrifice anybody who gets in the way of that well and he's very cruel Because Tyler is someone that he was with, and then Johnny is with her, you know? And, I mean, we just talked about the kidnapping. Wow. Yeah. But there's also this really, like, not cool vibe that he has any time that he sees Tyler and Johnny together. Yeah, he acts very possessive of Tyler and acts like he's giving her to Johnny. Yeah, he has that line, you know, about Tyler. She was my woman. Like, yeah. 
blow me, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just like this guy really is just, you know, to take a phrase you use, this guy is really just huffing his own farts. You know, he just he has a bag over his head with a <laughs> tube from his butt. It goes in the bag and he just keeps farting and he loves it. He never wants to get out. He just loves eating his farts because they taste so good. And he believes it. And it's just yeah. like a really, it's just like this really scummy thing. And if I remember correctly, in Donnie Darko, he plays a preacher that's crooked. It's funny because I never really thought about Bodhi as being full of BS when I first saw it. I just thought he was just like, you Because know, he's cool. Right. He seems cool. And like, you know, we kind of see him from Johnny's perspective. Right. And Johnny, like, is fully, you know, he's bought it. He's bought the line. Yeah. You know, he's really hooked. And he does get something from that relationship. Like, Johnny is kind of like dead inside in a way. Like, he doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't really connect to anything. Mm -hmm. He kind of does the things he thinks he should do. Right. But he doesn't experience things. And more than one person comments on this. Like, Tyler says to him later, after he's really finally gotten to surf for the first time, she's like, oh, you kind of actually look happy. You know, and it's like this is the first time he's experiencing that, which is kind of sad yeah. in a way that like this person's kind of almost never been happy or never known what it is to be happy because he's so caught up in duty and devotion to, you know, whatever he thinks he should be doing. Well, and there's also a real element of deception in this film, because like we say, Bodhi lies, he manipulates, you know, Johnny has to lie to get into this group. You know, Johnny lies about the death of his parents so that he can get Tyler. You know, and Tyler also is a leader in this film as well because she's the one that actually teaches him how to surf. Yeah. You know, and it's the reason that she does that is because she has true compassion. She hears the story about the dead parents. And, you know, it's because Johnny had found out that Tyler also has parents that have passed away. In an accident. Yep. So yep. it's crazy how much manipulation there is in this movie that's supposed to be about, like, surfing, you know, football, just having a good time. I mean, but when you look at the motives, when you look at Bodie when he first meets Johnny and it's like, yeah, you know, I know you, you know, you were this football player. It, it's kind of almost like a star fucker kind of move. And it's like buttering him up. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, Oh wow. Okay. So we got this guy that's kind of semi famous. What can we get from this? You know, it's like, I feel like Bodie always has something in his back pocket. Every single member of his crew has a particular function. Right. Lee Turgeson is Rosie. That is your killer. This is a man without a conscience. And that's why he has him there. So he never has to get his hands dirty. Well, he says as much. I mean, he says later when he's like excusing himself for kidnapping Tyler mm -hmm. because he actually really cares about her and he couldn't do anything like this. But that's why he has to keep Rosie around because Rosie has, you know, a function. And it's like, yeah, but you're telling him to do that. So it's the same as you doing it. But he thinks that because he's not physically doing it himself, that it's fine. Well, it's just like when James LaGrosse Roach is all shot up and they're at the plane at the end. 
and you know Bodie gets the parachute on him and he gives him the bag of money to put around him you know and Roach is like oh I'm getting cold and like Bodie just puts a coat on him and just pushes him out of the plane it's just kind of like literally I think all that Bodie is thinking is okay I got this guy He's got about 200 pounds on him, and we got this money. That's got some weight, so we'll make sure it lands. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'll know where it is. I'll be able to, like, trace that going down. Well, but when they were, and when they release Tyler, and then he goes and drives off with Rosie, they stop where, like, Roach's body is on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> I mean, this is so right to me. Like, Bodie is like, oh, we should bury him. We can't just leave him here. And Rosie's like, we don't have time. And, like, there's no more discussion. It's just like, okay, then, yeah, you're right. And he just grabs the money bag, throws it in the back, and they drive off. It's like his principles are for show. Yeah. His principles are, like, more of a performance than something he actually believes in. Because when it comes down to it, and he has to actually live according to his principles. He doesn't do that. No, he doesn't care about anything. I mean, when he makes Johnny do a robbery with a shotgun with no shells in it, you know, with no mask, no mask yeah. fully exposes him, destroys his life. And he does it because he can. And it all goes back to, you know, I feel that we've got the jealousy that he was with Tyler. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to kill her unless you do what I say and you get me safe. And beyond getting safe, I mean, you know, let's not look past the fact that you're dealing with an FBI agent who's going to, you know, send you to jail forever. You know, but it's like it's the betrayal that we're supposed to feel with Johnny Utah. It's like I almost feel like they're they're trying to do like a, a Judas you know, Johnny Utah as Judas to like, you know, Bodie's Jesus, which is such crap all up. But they really try to sell it. And Bodie is such a great showman, you know, and again, he is a con man. OK, he has that look. He has the scruff. He has the bleach blonde hair. But at the end of the film, guess what? He's cut his hair. Why? Because he's on the run. He's trying to escape. He doesn't want anybody to pin him down. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would go back and say that I think that the real reason that Bodie turns on Johnny is not about Tyler. Tyler is the sidebar. I don't think he cared enough about Tyler to have her matter that much. I think that it's that he trusted Johnny. He kind of came around to trusting Johnny Mm. and then found out that Johnny's devotion was not a hundred percent to him but you know still he had a devotion to his job to being in the fbi to the law and Bodie feels betrayed so that's why we have like this johnny is judas thing because that's what Bodie believes Bodie feels betrayed Bodie feels that he should have been the most important thing and that Johnny should have just, you know, gone with him. He's like, but I told you all the good things that I usually tell people, and they just fall right into step behind me. 
but you didn't fall into step. You still had questions. You're still a doubter. So it's more like he's a doubting Thomas than a Judas, maybe. But he's, a, you know, he, he just didn't, he didn't perform the way that most of the people who Bodhi manipulates do. Yeah. You know, Bodhi is like a master manipulator. Yeah. He manipulates people into falling into step behind him. His little crew is just kind of like little disciples, you know, there's, they don't think for themselves. He doesn't want them to think for themselves. He wants to indoctrinate them about what's cool so that they do what he wants them to do. And he was trying to do the same thing with Johnny and Johnny is affected to some extent but it's not the way that Bodhi was trying to manipulate him. Bodhi's trying to create like a cult of personality around himself. And in doing that, he's like doing all this kind of Zen stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I think Pavis calls him like your Zen surfer dude, buddy or whatever, <laughs> which is true. I mean, he does say all of these type of Zen kind of things and it does kind of sink in, but instead of Johnny's reaction to that completely being, oh, wow, this guy's so cool, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes, it more does connect Johnny to the world, to the ocean, to surfing, to having like a close relationship with Tyler. It changes him in a different way than Bodie was trying to change him. Well, it's and it's also again, it's not a two-way street with Bodie and Johnny in another way, because when we actually have the robbery, you know, we have the great scene where Johnny Utah shoots in the air after he blows out his knee. Yeah, you know, it's like he knows. You know, it's like Johnny Utah knows that that's Bodie. And Bodie knows that Johnny knows. Yep. And he can't shoot him. And that's how much he cares about this person. And it, it really is. It, it is like an indoctrination. And the other part, this is my last bit on, on Christianity in Point Break. But right before, you know, they land and Johnny is shown the videotape with Rosie holding Tyler hostage when they're skydiving, the crew, you know, Bodie, the guys, Johnny, they all hold hands in the air while they're skydiving. And it's kind of like a last supper. And then they land in the water. Okay. Which is like, Oh, what are we doing a baptism? And literally as soon as they hit the ground, the first line is Johnny Utah going Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then the next line is something like, uh, yeah, it's like you can feel the power of God or something. I'm paraphrasing yeah. from Bodie. So it's like they have all of this. You know, it, it, it's in there. Um, it falls apart immediately. Oh, yeah. It's a sham. Because you see that, like, he's kidnapped Tyler. Yeah. Um, and so he can't be Jesus anymore. No. It's like, you know, they didn't, like, Jesus didn't sacrifice himself and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I kidnapped some lady, you know. I mean, like, it, it does fall apart, but I think that's a definitely there. I mean, the imagery is there mm -hmm. um, in so many ways, and it does suit the story 
to kind of tell it that way. Um, but if you're not able to look at things from Bodhi's point of view, it falls apart. Yep. Like once, once your faith in Bodhi is broken, it falls apart. Because as viewers, I think we kind of are sucked into the Bodhi thing too. Absolutely. When we see the surfing shots, the gorgeous shots where we have the sun behind them. So it's like our surfers in silhouette, which is fantastic because I'm sure that the actors did, you know, some of the surfing out there, but some of these really crazy moves, some of these great waves, you know, it's like they have them in silhouette and it almost looks like, Oh, here we are again. It's almost like they're angelic or something. (laughs) You know, it's like this beautiful, stunning, sight you know it's almost like you know like they have a a light or a halo around them you know it's showing you that the ocean is really what is king in this film and when you are with the ocean you're good well i mean that's it's a mess though because it's not entirely that like this is a brilliant movie because it's able to throw out so many things to confuse you you know and it's like are the ex-presidents good? No. But I immediately did not think that when I saw it. So speaking of like the ocean, um, I think that probably what makes me really like this movie and think about this movie is all of the the camera work of the surfing. Yes. Um, I could just watch that like all day and kind of we do because we watch other surfing movies like... Uh, endless summer and step into liquid yeah like we love the stuff and we you know i I think like we in an alternate universe could have been surfing people you know i still kind of want to try it even though i would probably kill myself immediately um (laughs) but it just seems cool like it seems very free and and exciting and stuff and i like the idea of it and i love the way that it's shot in this movie because they're right there like they're in the wave with the surfers you know it's not like this far off shot only no and i think that they did a really good job with it which also they do in the 2015 version of this movie um which whether you like it or not i think that what you can say is that the freaking stunts in that movie are insane yeah. Um, and the wave shots in that movie are nuts. Like, it's huge. Like, the surfing is huge in that. And then they have, like, the squirrel suit scene, which is one of the best action scenes in any movie ever. I love that. I love and, that. And, I mean, it's really cool how they kind of, like, turned all of the action up to 11 in that and made it, like, super extreme sports. Because in the 90s, and, like, this movie counted in 91... I think was when like extreme sports type stuff started to become a little bit more mainstream mm-hmm. as opposed to just like outside of everything. And now it's like even that extreme sports from the 90s seems kind of tame with what people are doing nowadays. Well, at the very beginning of Point Break 2015, that is actually my favorite action scene in the entire film when they're on the dirt bikes. Oh god, it's terrifying. That's right? so scary. And they're driving on this ridge of these mountains. Yes. And they make this spectacular jump. Well, one of them does. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, both do it. Both do it, but the you know, the the non-Luke Bracy character, not Johnny Utah. 
you know, falls off. He doesn't off. really land. He kind of goes off. So I would say he didn't make it because he didn't make it. Like, he, he overshoots. And yes. So his landing is, is compromised. I'd give him the points, though, for making it. Like, if he just, like, you know, came up short, didn't even get a tire sure. onto that little, what do you want to call that? A column? A shaft? <laughs> <laughs> remember when they were like biking onto that shaft bro <laughs> that was right it's like a plateau but it's like a little piece of one like it's like the other part's like falling off but it's scary like i'm scared of heights so i'm just like yeah. dying the whole time um and yeah and then the second part is like when they go to the uh surfing that's happening out in the middle of the ocean mm-hmm. and Johnny snakes Bodie's wave, oh, which yes. is like really our favorite saying in any movie ever. We just repeat it all the time. We're saying somebody's snake in their wave. Yeah, like somebody cuts in front of you in line, they like snaked your wave. Yes, you know? exactly. You know, there's so many deployments of that that are workable in real life. We love it. Yeah, I love snake and waves. And then the squirrel suit thing again is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's like snowboarding and then climbing Angel Falls, free climbing it. Wow. Which is nuts. I mean, it's a great, it's like, it's a great movie to watch for those action sequences. It's incredible. And we also have the benefit of this film, the 2015 Point Break being in 4K. Yeah. So the resolution yeah, is awesome. like, you could see like, you know, the head of a pin. Yeah. I, I really can't wait until we get a 4K version. Of the 91 point break. Yes. I fully agree. Because I would love to see these surfing scenes in like, you know, HD or higher, higher super HD, you know, ultra. Yeah. Because it would just be really beautiful. Like, it's already really beautiful, but mm-hmm. I just think it would be even more exciting. So... I'm looking forward to the, when that day comes also, because uh, I think this is shot well. It's just shot really well. And the skydiving stuff is awesome, too. Well, that's it. I mean, we have so many things in 1991 where I don't feel that CGI was as prevalent. And these things that we're seeing are happening. The skydiving, that's happening. You know, the surfing that's happening, you know, like we talked about, there were different surfers, you know, that they had in there for these for these particular shots. But they're stunning. Yeah. And it really sets up the entire film. It's like, you know, I would love to see actually an entire like, I don't know, uh, box set from Criterion, like a 4K set of all of Catherine Bigelow's work. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love it. I mean, I would watch every single thing that she's directed over again. Um, And I think we've seen most of them, if not all of them. You know, I know there's a couple we didn't mention, like The Weight of Water. I remember that. And I don't know. I don't know what else. But really, whenever we see her name. Oh, yeah, K-19. And she directed some episodes of Homicide Life on the Street, which is a freaking great show yeah i don't know which one she did but i mean that whole show was every a episode of that show was great there and she was got no to... bad ones no like oh my god she should hook up with andre brower oh andre brower is the king of everything yeah i love him he's fantastic i mean what if andre brower was Bodie? oh my gosh <laughs> i would totally buy that it would be a different 
totally would. It buy would be that. a really different movie, but I would still love it. I w- it would be great. What like, if Andre Brower did a one man show of Point Break? I'm there. <laughs> I mean, I'm there. He could play Pappas. He could play Johnny Utah. He could play Tyler. Mm-hmm. He could play all the ex presidents. Yeah, I'm in. He could do anything. <laughs> He could do anything. His yeah. monologues on Homicide Life on the Street were wonderful. The writers felt the same way. You know, the directors felt the same way. Everyone felt the His same way. His voice is just great. Oh, oh he silk. was my favorite thing in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, too. He was so funny in yeah. that show. And he was also wonderful in Frequency. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure we will talk about, because that's a huge movie in my life. Um, yeah. Mega awesome. Nothing is bad. He never did anything bad. No. We could go through all of it. Yeah. Sidebar. Andre Brower's sidebar over. (laughs) Well, here's something interesting about Point Break I want to point out. What I really like, again, is how we subvert expectations with female characters. We've already talked about Lori Petty and how she is actually the one that teaches Johnny Utah how to surf. And she could possibly be his twin. Right. As well as, you know, his love interest. I mean, it's... That's interesting. very funny to me that they look so much alike. Like, they both have, like, this dark hair and, like, they have this sporty kind of body type. So, it's kind of funny to me because it feels like, you know, I'm not sure if Johnny Utah is, like, falling in love with a version of himself or something. Or Tyler is falling in love with a version of herself or... This is just a coincidence, and they just had a similar hairdo. I'm just not sure. But it just really struck me this time. There's, like, one scene where they're, like, walking up the beach side by side, and they're both wearing, like, the same kind of, like, you know, um, wetsuits. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, they look like they could be, like, siblings <laughs> or something. But they're also, like, the romantic relationship. So... I don't know. That's a little weird. but No, you pointed it out, and I was like, oh, wow, this is incredible. It's like a mirror image. And again, it made me think about, like, if Bodhi is teaching him, you know, the ways of uh, enlightenment, he's also teaching him the way of loving himself. You know, he's teaching him vanity. So it would completely make sense, you know, if, you know, we had Johnny Utah in love with someone that looked a lot like him because that's feeding into his vanity. Well, and then he's saving himself in the end, right? Right, right. When he's saving Tyler. No, it's interesting. You can think about it in a lot of different ways. But one thing I would definitely say is that Lori Petty is great in this. Yeah. I mean, I... She's kind of like the heart of the movie because it's like her and Gary Busey are kind of like the human heart of the movie mm-hmm. because you have all these things happening with Johnny and Bodie that are like so philosophical and so like cerebral. Yeah. But they aren't like visceral and they don't feel like they exist in the real world. It's like they're up on a different plane of existence, like discussing philosophy where when Tyler is with Johnny, he's, like, in the real world, you know? And then the same thing with Pappas. He's, like, so earthy and grounded. And those people, like, kind of bring Johnny back to reality. Sure. In a way. Um, But, yeah, I think Lori Petty is good in a lot of things. 
but I think this is the this and probably Orange is the New Black are the two things I remember her in the most. I always remember from A League of Her Own. Oh yeah, she's great in that too. Yeah. She was really good with Gina Davis. I really bought the sisters. She's like the annoying little sister. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why I don't like her in that one as much. <laughs> it's it but I mean with <laughs> League of Their Own the Sisters. Because she's too good at it, right. is what I'm saying. No, I get it. It's but League of Their Own, the sisters, that's the heart of the movie. It is. You know, so it's like if we didn't have, you know, the two sisters in the film, if we didn't have Gina Davis and Lori Petty in that, then we wouldn't really have the film, yeah, you know, no, I fully, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I want to talk about, well, this is a sidebar and then I'm going to move on to the other female characters that I find really interesting because they subvert expectations. I want to talk about how Johnny Utah visits Tyler at Neptune's net where she works. Mm -hmm. He pulls up, he walks in, there's absolutely no one in line, which is, not realistic. No. We've been there and we had to wait 30 minutes. Yeah. To get a basket of fish. And there were like, you had to fight for a seat. They were all dirty. It wasn't like this clean, like open area. Yeah. Where... But I mean, this is 91 when two meatball subs, a tuna sandwich, and two lemonades cost $7. <laughs> so Neptune's Net could have been a victim of inflation now, too. Well, it's just like. I just love it. I just love that a place that I know is being uber busy every single time we've ever gone, he just strolls in, you know, he gets a parking spot easy, course, no yeah. problem. He gets a parking spot, strolls in, you know, she happens to be working, you know, right at the counter, you know, and he just gets to just shoot the shit with her for like a good solid five minutes. They have a heart to heart. You know, I don't see any seafood changing hands. <laughs> well, he orders shrimp and fries. Right, but, like, did we see him with it? Did he walk away with it? No, he just placed the order, right? I, I don't think we see him get it, no. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they have to cook it, unlike the magic meatball shop. Well, that, look, I, I have expectations. They just expectations. push a button and the meatballs come out. And... <laughs> it's like the Jetsons. Yeah, it's exactly like Star Trek with a replicator. Oh, man. So, all right, here's another one. So, when we have the big raid scene, okay, with uh, the crystal meth guys, right? So, yeah, these are the guys that kind of, um, they, I'll just do the background. Yeah, do it. So, Keanu and Busey, like, have this idea that they want to forensically test the hair or something of this, this uh, ex-president's guy that they have the evidence from. And they think they can pin it down to a certain beach. So they do that. Johnny goes to this beach to kind of try to pal around with people and find out who's there. And he gets beat up by this gang of four dudes who seem really super sketch. Yeah. So they think, hey, these probably are the ex-presidents. Can we talk about the members of that gang? Certainly. So we have like four guys... One of them is this humongous dude named Warchild, who's actually a real surfer. He's terrifying. Yeah, then there's two other guys. And then the fourth guy, who's this kind of little dude with a weird haircut, is Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> and he's kind of an annoying little dick in this, which is hilarious. But yeah, so he, they, they are jerks. This would be great if they were the ex-presidents, right? Mm. So, 
you know, Johnny thinks this is it. Busey's in on it, too. Um, and actually, while he's getting beat up by these guys, uh, while Johnny's getting beat up these, by these guys, Bodie shows up to help him and kind of rescues him from them. So... After he lets him get his ass kicked. Yeah. Like, that, like he's like, I just wanted to see what was going to happen or some garbage. Like, like Again, violence. She loves to deal with, like, this weird idea of, like, male violence. It, well, it, it's, I don't know. It's just creepy. It's like, you know, if you're you're like my my friend. And I, I wouldn't, s- like, wait for you to kind of get some licks in before I helped you. Yeah. Like, I mean, he gets, like, you know, he gets he Significantly gets smoked out. Yeah, he's getting, like, out. choked. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know. Anyway. It's pretty awful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, conveniently, it seems like, hey, these guys seem criminal. They probably are the guys. So they set up a sting. They go in with a few other FBI guys, and they're going to, like, take these guys out, or at least check them out, whatever. So, it's pretty uh, high-intensity scene. Yeah. Because when they get there, like, Busey's going to go up to the front door and pretend that he's looking for his dog. And these, uh, and Keanu's on one side of the house, kind of peeking in, and he sees them just pulling out enormous firepower. Mm-hmm. They have like guns, 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 automatic weapons, all this kind of shit. He's trying to stop uh, the other guys from letting Busey go into the house. Doesn't work. So they have this huge shootout with these guys. Well, there's a lot of tension that's built up. Because where Keanu is, he has a walkie-talkie to communicate with the FBI agents on the other side of the building. But they can't hear what he's saying because there's a lawnmower going on. Yes, which is kind of funny because it's really just one of those manual push mowers. And those don't make noise or spin like that. But I guess, I don't know if they didn't have another lawnmower or what. But it seems like really high test with this lawnmower, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be making that noise. That's funny. See, I didn't notice that it was like a manual push. I didn't catch that. Yeah, it was. Oh, wow. That's really weird. It was strange. But again, I don't know. Maybe that's all they could get their hands on. Hmm. It's well, it's a fantastic scene. I mean, never noticed that until this time, by the way. I still didn't notice it. Every other time I've been like fully engaged with that being a real lawnmower like a motorized mechanical lawnmower, but this time it, I noticed that I don't think it was. Wow. And the trivia confirms. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That, <laughs> that's bizarre. So, like, all these, these guys, you know, in the house, you know, they, they have, like, meth, and they seem really jacked up, real aggro. It's very, like, scary stuff. And, you know, there are some ladies in the house as well. There's, like, one that answers the front door and basically is trying to tell Gary Busey to piss off. And then we see that there is a woman taking a shower. Now, this is a real surprise. Because, you know, at this time at movies, you would expect it would just be, like, this really cheap, lousy shot of them, like, pulling open the shower door you know, and it's just like she's topless and it's just crap. You know what yeah, I mean? just cheap stuff. Yeah, like really just crap. But what happens, which is awesome, is that the naked lady in the shower gets out and starts kicking ass and taking names. Fully nude. Yeah. Just fighting with with 
Johnny Utah and also with Pappas. Yeah, and she like stabs this one agent like in the back a couple of times. <laughs> and like this woman is unstoppable. Yeah. She is like housing out these guys. And it, it's just like it's so great because I love it. I love seeing, you know, the, this tradition being turned on its head, you know? And it's fully believable. It is. And I've, I never have seen anything like that, I don't think, in, in another movie. But I thought it was really, it's funny, too. Like, yeah. it's funny and it's kind of impressive. This woman is just, like, fighting like hell and she's totally naked, totally subverting the expectation. It's great. It's great. I mean, the female characters in this are strong. I mean, we don't have any weak female characters which again is very unique for the time you know we also have an fbi agent who works on the computer you know she knows what's going on very intelligent very knowledgeable you're like hey this is nice of course we have tyler which we we talked about i mean she does get kidnapped but i mean shit anybody could get kidnapped by rosie like i mean i think arnold schwarzenegger would get kidnapped by rosie well it's not just rosie i mean she's we don't know who kidnapped her i mean she trusts Bodie. yeah so you know and also at the time she was furious with johnny right because right. he had lied to her yeah and he did he lied to her to get her trust by saying that his parents had been killed in an accident because her parents have been killed in an accident. So his, you know, and then she comes in on him with a gun on him. Yeah. She actually shoots the pillow next to him while he's fully asleep. Yeah. And like wakes him up and just is, you know, going at him about, you know, the lies that he's told her. And I think that, you know, she's probably the most righteous person in this movie mm -hmm. i mean we talk a lot about like this religious angle with Bodie, but like right. i think it's i think it's tyler because she is a great surfer yeah right she is selflessly sharing her knowledge of surfing Ooh, okay with johnny mm -hmm. um she you know really sees him and she ends up being forgiving of him, even though he betrayed her. And she also plays football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, like. And she's good at it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think Tyler is kind of like the real hero in this movie in a lot of ways. I could see that. And everything that you said completely tracks. I am sure that she was tricked. She thought it was a friend. She thought it was good. And guess what? And it was at a vulnerable moment. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody could get screwed Bodie like that. Bodie would definitely take advantage of that. Well, that that is that is his bread and butter. I can't believe when we go back through it how much Bodie is just a, a bottom villain. feeder. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because every time... I mean, this is really one of these things where I'm having a different reaction on a rewatch. Yeah. Because pretty much every time I've ever watched this movie, I've thought Bodie was super cool. Yep. And I know people, you know, who name their kid Bodie. You know, right? I, it's probably not after. Maybe it's not after this character. Dude, it's after this character. Some people, it is after this character, I'm sure. Remember the Maximus kids when Gladiator came out? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and people think this character is really cool. And he is cool, but he also is a super dick, too. So, you know, it's all there. 
But it's funny to me because I really got like a lot more negativity off of Bodie this time and this watch um, than I have in the past. Well, here's a good one. I just thought about this. You know what uh, Bodie is kind of like? What character? What? He's kind of like Mr. Peanut Butter. Ah, Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack. Right? Very selfish character, but he always puts up that he's very kind, very generous, very and patient. And people now. buy it. Yep. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. It's. I mean, it also goes to show you just how good of an actor Patrick Swayze is to, to carry this off. Oh, yeah. This is a very complex character because he even, like, pulls the wool over our eyes as the audience. Yeah. I mean, it, how long did it take me? I mean, 1991, right? We're in 2022. <laughs> you know, I never thought this until now. Yeah. When we, it's funny because our, our experience, I think, of rewatching things for the podcast is so different from just rewatching things out of enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Because I think we really start to like look at it from different perspective and view it with different eyes almost. And that's definitely what happened to me here. You know, it's, it's also maybe that I might have a different response to people who um, flout the system in order to kind of make a point that I might have had in the past. Um, because that is, there is like a selfishness to that. And, you know, it, it is the difference between something that's philosophical and something that's practical, you know. And so I think I'm thinking of it in a lot different terms than I might have thought about it before. Well, yeah. And if you're stealing, you're stealing from someone. Yeah, it's not a victimless crime. Right. And people do end up dead from this. Innocent bystander people. I mean, that's one of the saddest things to me that I, I noticed this time is when they do this final bank robbery where, mm -hmm. where they bring along Johnny. There's like an, uh, an off-duty cop who's in the bank at the time. And he wants to fight back. And he enlists the help of the security guard who doesn't want to fight back. Yes. The security guard is like not interested in fighting back. He just wanted to just be there, do his job, whatever. But when it comes to like bank robbery, he doesn't want to like try to be a hero. But this, this off duty cop does. And he feels obligated to do something. And he enlists the help of the security guard who instantly is killed. And that sucks because this guy just was doing his job. He was just living his life. And he just gets killed because, really, because of Bodie's insatiable greed. And the reason that this happened is directly related to that. Because the normal ex-president's M.O. is to only rob from the cash drawers so that they have a quick escape. Mm -hmm. But this time, Bodie says go to the vault, which yep. takes longer and makes more of an opportunity for this off-duty cop and security guard to end up fighting back. In every other scenario prior to this, the ex-presidents probably would have been out the door before these guys even had a chance to decide if they wanted to react or not. Well, here's a question that I have. I wonder why Bodie actually takes his Reagan mask off. That's something I wondered about in this scene, because he is selfish, right? So why does he take the mask off? What is the deal? Like... It has, is it like he sees, you know, his faults? I doubt it because he runs, you know, if he really wanted 
to just hang it up. He could have surrendered to the police or, you know, done something else. Well, I think that's his point break, right? That's like his breaking point where, like, he can't avoid being himself in that moment anymore. Like, anytime he's playing, anytime they're doing this robbery, he's the ex-president. He's disconnected from this action. They're not generally hurting anyone physically. In this, they've shot people. The the off-duty cop shot Gromit and killed him. He wasn't quite dead at that moment, but he dies a couple of seconds later. And that's when he pulls the mask and start and just shoots the guy. It's like he has broken from being able to have that distance between what he's doing and like the reality of it. Yeah, because the ex-president's robberies had a fun element to them. You know, he actually did like this really bottom drawer English accent. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like we had one of the guys flashing their butts with thank you yeah, on there. They were playing yeah. before. Now it's not a fun thing anymore. It's gotten real. And there's nothing he can do to prevent that from hitting home for him at this point because one of his guys is dying. Yeah. So. Well, we also have one other thing that really hit me this time. I did not remember that Pappas dies. Did you remember that? I did, but I try not to because it sucks. It sucks so bad. Well, and that goes back to my question that we started off with about, you know, is this Johnny's perfect summer? Because even though he gets all of these great things... By the end of the summer, he doesn't have all these great things anymore. Pappas is gone. Bodie, his relationship with Bodie is torched. He still surfs and he still has Tyler. So some good things have still come out of it. He's still probably having a better summer than me. But, <laughs> you know, it's it's difficult. It's problematic. We can't say that, you know, Johnny Utah's return to school summer essay is going to be all you know perfect well here's something i thought about again i think i'm stumbling back in religion but here we are pappas right makes me think of father right and then bodie right that's just also angelo Angel. Oh, Angel Dad. yeah wow okay so we got angel dad (laughs) right and then we've got bodie Right. That's like our I don't know. What what do you want to say? Our our religious figure or yeah, leader. God. Yeah. I mean is it are, are Guru. We, yeah, is it like a holy trinity situation they're trying to roll us with? No. It but it's just like I don't know. It's just like they, they give I mean you, not directly. Yeah. I think people use religious imagery in a vague kind of way some way. So you know, it could have just been like, yeah, we'll just throw it in there. You know, like when you're writing a, a, a you're writing something and just like, oh, let's just pepper in a little symbolism here and there. Right. Like to pump it up. I mean, I had heard before that Shakespeare and the Bible are the two things everybody goes to, you know, when they're writing. So it's like, I'm always like, okay, do we have, you know, these elements in here? Well, it makes sense because there's, you know, religious, um, religious imagery is something that people kind of share 
as a society. So even if you aren't religious, you probably know about these religious figures and religious structures. It's like a shared language in a way. I got two points I want to bring up that I, I think I have exhausted everything. So get this. The one thing I want to bring up is Tom Sizemore and his role in this. So Tom Sizemore is an undercover agent at the raid. And because, you know, Johnny Utah has, you know, initiated this raid against this meth house, this agent has lost three months worth of work, like deep cover. Yeah. And he has, you know, all of this crystal meth. You know, they were going to, like, make some deals, and he was going to be able to really take out a big piece of this drug empire. Yeah. But because, you know, Johnny Pappas, you know, came in and did this, they destroyed his case, they destroyed his work, and Tom Sizemore, you know, just delivers an incredible scene where he is so disgusted with what has happened. You fully believe that he has been away from his wife for three months. Yeah. You know, he says his wife doesn't even want him to come home. She wants him to stay at the Ramada. He <laughs> says he hates his hair. He hates <laughs> his clothes. Like, and I mean, it's just like for someone to come in, you know, to swoop in like this, you know, and it's like you really have one big scene. Like we see him like just a couple times quick in the house. Like we see him being arrested. You know, I, I think we see him right before he's arrested. I don't know. He's cooking or something, mm. you know, with the stove. And then, you know, he he freaks out because his case has been destroyed. And it's just like he comes in, delivers a one two punch and you are still feeling it, you know, after he's gone. Incredible performance. And he's not credited. Are you kidding? No. That is incredible. But he shows up again in Strange Days. Yes. Uh, this is another guy who Catherine Bigelow has used multiple times, and she draws something amazing out of him. He's he's unbelievably great in Strange Days, and he's quick in this. Yeah. But it really is a pivotal moment for Johnny because it makes him feel like he's failing. Like he he's he's kind of a bull in a china shop trying to take out these ex-presidents and thinks that he knows what he's doing, but this shows again that he doesn't. He's still a green kind of rookie and he doesn't, you know, know the ropes and this makes him feel very small. Mm -hmm. in this moment and it also makes him look very bad to his boss um, which sets a tone for the rest of the movie kind of that he's got something to really prove here yeah in speaking of tone i believe that is the name of ketis uh, yes yes i think you're correct you know and also oh i can't forget our two guys on the beach oh yeah what what a psycho stick and passion for slashing. Yeah, these guys are ridiculous. They're baking out under a towel on the beach. <laughs> and this is when they're trying to get the hair samples from people. 
And Gary Busey, like, pulls the towel off of these guys. That's <laughs> you know? hilarious. And it's just, again, it's a quick scene, but very memorable. Oh, yeah. Like, we could have watched, you know, a Dude Where's My Car movie with these guys. <laughs> with those guys. Yeah, I totally would have kept going with them and see what, what their day is going to be like. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it's... that's, I mean, this movie has a lot of funny stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I like about it. Like, it goes from serious to meaningful to, like, silly really seamlessly, and that makes it feel very real, you know? And and then the cinematography has, like, that sense of realism as well. So I think that's kind of what makes this a classic for me, um, is that it it feels very immediate and very real, even though, you know, this was 91 and like, that's a long time ago now it endures because of the, the relationships between the people and the just reality of it, you know, all the different temperatures that it goes through in, in Johnny's kind of journey to like, prove himself in his job um which in the end turns out to be nothing he wanted anyway yeah which i think is interesting i mean this whole journey is about him catching the bad guy and that being like the job that he wanted to prove that he could do and then when he's proven it at the end he he catches bodie but he lets him go there's your fishing analogy that you were looking for. Oh, <laughs> nice. Thank you. He lets him go and throws him back into the ocean. And Bodie, you know, basically is able to get like the glorious death that he wanted, you know. And at that point, um, Johnny throws his badge into the ocean. Just like Dirty Harry. <laughs> yeah, that's all I think. I think about Dirty Harry every time yeah. I see that maneuver. Yeah. Because it's Dirty Harry is a movie where he wants to catch the bad guys, you know, and he's after this killer who is psychotic. Yeah. And he does stop him. But it's at a very great cost, you know, personally and professionally. And he's very happy that he has eliminated this threat permanently, but he just can't stand, he can't stand the system anymore. Yeah. And he, it, in Dirty Harry, in my recollection, the way that he throws the badge. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's just like. Tossing whoa. it off. Yeah. Like in this, I feel like Johnny gives it a little more gusto, but Clint Eastwood, you know, I mean, we're talking about man with no name here. This guy invented the type of cool that we see in characters all the time. Yeah. He's not going to put that kind of effort in. And it's just to deliver that point, just to drive it home. Yeah. Of how done with it he is when he just, I mean, just ever so lightly kind of, you know, tosses that badge. Yeah. You know, and just like you said, the whole movie is Johnny's journey. What do we start with? We start with surfing, and we start with Johnny's training. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes through, it's like he's almost training in a dual thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the end, he is still saying that he's surfing every day, and that he seems like he's going to stick with, but this being a, a law enforcement 
seems no longer meaningful in the same way that it used to be. Right. He just had to finish this one thing and he's done it. And now he really has to go back and do some self-examination and see who he wants to be. Because this isn't it. I think that that's like a really big deal um, in this movie for Johnny as a character growing. Because it shows you that even though Bodie was bad guy right Mm -hmm. and kind of a piece of trash in a lot of ways right he left an enduring impression in johnny's life and made johnny a different person and that stays around even if bodie's gone and that's what we have here it's yeah it's really really a well-done movie all around i mean it's well written yeah you know it's well acted superbly it's... directed and, and shot oh didn't you tell me that Catherine bigelow would actually go out in a surfboard or hang off of a boat to get some of the shots i read that yes i read that she is very actively physically involved in getting some of these shots and they did just some new things with how to get how to shoot some of these scenes like the scenes where they're skydiving, um, and it's the close-up stuff of them. Yeah. They're kind of on this rig with fans blowing on them to to imitate what it would look like if they were in the air. Um, all the stuff in the... All the other skydiving stuff is like second unit, but they kind of invented a way to shoot um, that chase scene, the foot chase. Mm-hmm. They kind of invented um, some different ways to do the surfing shots so that they're like there instead of shooting it from far off or trying to zoom or whatever. Um, They're kind of right in it. And that's what I love about it. That's why I think that it's so realistic and immediate. Like I said, I think that uh, it's very successfully done. And she went on to do some more innovative things in Strange Days with point of view um, shooting. Yeah. And that's like before there were things like a GoPro. They're kind of shooting GoPro type imagery in that movie. Well, she's amazing. I mean, you know, she was a painter, right? And then, you know, she's a, a writer, a director, a producer. And I even saw that she had some acting credits. Yeah, she's a really brilliant person. We're lucky to be able to enjoy some of these movies by her so yeah an oscar winner to boot i mean yeah we'll definitely be revisiting her movies again especially with strange days which is one of my super faves Mm -hmm. and continues to be massively relevant even today um we saw it again at the theater a few years ago yeah and it was like wow this you know even though it's set in 1999 and it's very much surrounding like y2k stuff it feels very modern um and contemporary to our time now as well so you know she's really able to tap into something enduring and meaningful um even in kind of a a piece that is very of its time and that's what happened with point break as well yeah i'm really glad we went back i'm really glad we went back i'll go back again i mean (laughs) I'm always going to be there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I know I've seen this probably double digit times. And I'm sure I'll see it double digit more. Um, if only even for the surfing scenes, because they look so good. Yeah. 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 
All right. Well, thanks for joining us today for the Point Break episode number 41. We'll see you next week unless some other insane things happen. <laughs> um, Got to build that in nowadays. Um, but hopefully <laughs> we'll be back to our normal weekly schedule. And until then, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>